it's a it's a it's a blessing what you discover is we're all going through something it's not you're going through something and no one else is you know no we're all going through something and we're all walking through life together with the desire to glorify and honor the Lord and, and who we are and what we do so regardless of where you're at in in stage in life I had this little I should have asked Caroline to help me with this. If I get this little Kahoot thing going, so I could I could ask questions, and Kahoot is this thing where you answer questions with your phone, and it's anonymous, and people like to be anonymous when they you know answer questions. So, a few questions I could have given me a little picture of the class dynamics, but it keeps on asking me to upgrade and pay, so I keep on saying no, and I couldn't get through the, I couldn't get through it. So so that's kind of where where I left off with that. Um, yeah, looking forward to in in the weeks to come to getting to know more of you and to get a chance to have more of you introduce yourself. So thank you for, for doing that this morning. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, and I want to introduce a little bit what we'll be doing and what we'll be covering in, in the weeks to come. And we'll get through a portion of this. We'll get through a portion of this today. I shared this before, but someone asked the question once, you know, is, what's, what's your favorite book of the Bible? If I were to say I had a favorite book, I'd probably go to the Gospel of John because I just love coming back to the Gospel of John. And the person of Christ is so magnified there in his deity and everything. So that's probably where I would go. But otherwise, every time I'm reading through Scripture, I'm like, wow, this is, this is great. You know, this is, I love to teach on this passage or dig deeper in this passage. So... I've been walking through uh, 2 Corinthians over the summer, and I started taking notes and just um, really desired to, to walk through this, this letter together. So, so today, laying the, the foundation a little bit, giving us a context, I don't, we don't need to get in the weeds of, of every little detail in terms of, uh, some people say, is it one letter, is it three letters, is it a composition of things, when was it written? We'll, we'll look at some of that to give us context. But um, the desire is to walk through together, probably for this coming year. We'll probably take a break around Christmas time and do something um, over Christmas a little bit different. But by and large, walking through the, the, the 13 chapters here. And so when others might come and teach, if Nathan, uh, if I'm out of town and Nathan takes a turn or, or Mark Hager takes a turn, perhaps they can keep following in the passage as well. After all, the same same passage should allow us to, to study and, and read together. Let me just read the greeting and, and begin there. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, in introducing himself, he, we know the relationship he had with the Corinthian church. Well, of course, we're, we're probably more familiar with the first letter of Corinthians just because he walks through a number of, of, of trouble that he ran through the church. And then his second letter is actually, we'll, we'll discuss a little bit the, the context of this in just a moment. But one thing I want to say as it turns to, to what do we do when we study scripture? I say that because as you walk through Second Corinthians, you read a lot of people say, what's the main theme? What's the purpose? What's the outline? And you see Paul defending his apostleship. You see 
suffering and grace and comfort through suffering. You see eight, chapters 8 and 9, you see the grace of giving, and you see those things. But ultimately, when we go through Scripture, even as we get into the weeds of it, and if you're, if you're not careful, as you get to the weeds of a passage, you can lose sight of, okay, what am, I, what am I trying to learn here? What is God trying to tell me? What is he revealing through this? I thought it was interesting. In one commentary, the guy said, the, the, the author said, I'll say the guy, the author, the author said um, that his commentary for 2 Corinthians was intentionally more brief. He says, because you can, you can write, some commentaries are 600 pages long for those 13 chapters, but when you get so far in the weeds, sometimes you're like, well, when, where am I again? You know, wh- where am I in, in this letter? So I want to be able to walk through in about a year's time, I broke it down in roughly around 40, around 40 lessons. I want to be able to walk through it, but at the same time not lose sight of, he, he wrote a letter that was to be read to the church. And sometimes I think we dissect it so much, I wonder, we, we slice it in so many different ways. I wonder if, if, if we don't lose some of the big pictures. So I want to flow enough to know to where we can grab, uh, gather what he says. At the end of our time today, I want to walk through some verses, some key verses that we see in this letter and just... Um, perhaps verses that you'll, re- you'll, you'll recognize most of them, but kind of give us a picture of some of the big, big things that he'll be hitting in, in this thing. So there, there's two things. One, as you're reading any passage, it's, it's not about ultimately, right, the text is not about Paul. It's not about the Corinthian church. It's not about those he calls the super apostles here. or the false, Ultimately, any letter, any revelation is about God. What does he want me to know about him? So there's two things in any, in any study is what knowledge should I gain and what difference does it make to my life. That, that has to be the, the, the framework. So as I'm peeling through the details, ultimately it backs up, okay, what, what does God tell me about himself? And from there, what do I do about that knowledge? Because if it's just knowledge for the sake of knowledge, and we're going to look at some knowledge pieces here, and one of the weaknesses of a teacher is that sometimes they give you more details than you care to know about. You know, you, you ever had a history teacher at school? He gave you all these details. He seems super excited about it. You're thinking, sorry, Ben, that happens. I know you're a history teacher, but you've had those. T- <laughs> well, that's because you're that teacher. <laughs> I had a, my, my history teacher at the school, you know, he, he took a field trip. Now, he's a great, I'm going to give his name, great kid, great guy. But during teacher um, Last Monday, during I shared that with Caroline during teacher visitation last week, parents, oh, so we might, what kind of filter do you think about doing for the class? And he goes, well, I don't know. We were, we're talking about that. I think we might be going to the Lynchburg Cemetery. I'm thinking, really? Is that, is that the most exciting field trip we've got going here? But he gets excited about going on a field trip to where they buried Lee's horse. So I'm sure if you're from mathematics, that's exciting. But, uh, no, nah, I just... I say that because sometimes, okay, the details, ultimately the details that we dig into, and I'm going to give you some details. Maybe I get a little bit too weedy even today, but ultimately I back up from this saying, okay, Lord, what do you want me to know about you? What are you revealing about yourself? And then from there, um, what do I do about it? And, and where, do I, where do I go from there? So I want to go to chapter 12, verse 9, and, and we're not going to... Uh, make this maybe a, a key verse, but it's probably the verse that, that, that pops out to me because he talks about grace, I, I forget, I think maybe maybe around 15 times maybe in, in, this, in, in, these, in these few chapters. So grace is certainly a, a common theme. I'm not going to say it's the theme because 
uh, you'll see he goes back and forth between those who supported him and some of the false prophets and encouraging some and rebuking others, and he goes back and forth with that. But as I read, as I read through that, wow, I mean, um, you just read it with the weight of the words there. And he talks about in 12 9, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. I mean, that, that, those few words right there, you can, you can sit there for a while and just contemplate what that means, right? I mean, just pause in one moment. What, what does that mean to you, that my grace is sufficient for you? For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Actually, when I first got caught, that, that this, this letter caught my attention is, is in the first chapter where he talks to the church about his trials and tribulation, and he tells them, he says, and this is that God might, that I might learn how to depend more on God. And that, you know how you read things at a moment in your, in your, when you're in your prayer life, you're, you've got these things going on, you're praying for, you're, you're leaning on the Lord, and, and you read this verse, that you just feel the full weight of what he's saying. Other times you read right through it, and you just read right through it, and doesn't really... Uh, smack you in the face other times you're sitting there reading it and it just kind of smacks you right there and I read that verse wow these things happen so that I might learn how to depend more on you because many of my requests perhaps in that moment were actually trying to find ways where I didn't depend on God now if you would just relieve me of this pressure relieve me of this and provide here so I could just back off it and 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 him reminded me how I need to to depend on him the foundation for Second Corinthians, as far as the church is concerned, the foundation is found in Acts 18. In Acts 18, uh, the first 17 verses, you see Paul coming. Um, it says he departed from Athens. He goes from Athens to Corinth, and he's going to find um, Aquila there, and we, we know Priscilla, and we, that's uh, the couple that he meets there, and uh, instrumental in the church. So this is where... Acts 18 is going to give kind of the introduction to them. Verse 3, he talks about why he's there. He says, because he was of the same trade as Paul. He stayed with them, verse 3, and worked, for they weren't tent makers by trade. So he, he meets them. He comes from Athens to Corinth, and uh, the church begins from there with these two. He meets them initially because of his trade. He meets them initially because they're both uh, tent makers by trade. Put down here that 2 Corinthians is probably the fourth letter. Here's where I'm talking about some of the weeds that we don't, I'm not going to really get into all the debates around the question about how many letters did Paul actually write to the Corinthian church. But it's helpful to know as we're reading that this is probably the fourth letter to the Corinthian church. The first one uh, that we find is in um, 1 Corinthians 5 9. He talks to them, but I wrote to you this previous letter. So, he always references a previous letter in 1 Corinthians 5. The second letter is probably 1 Corinthians. The third letter is one that he refers to in 2 Corinthians. He calls it the tearful or painful letter. In other words, I had to write this tearful and painful letter to you. He references that in 2 Corinthians. And then the fourth letter is probably the one we have here uh, in, uh, that's been preserved for us. God, obviously, in his wisdom deemed that these are the two that we needed and those are the two that have been that remain for us to study Corinth is even as a text is strategically located now I like 
historical details. I like those facts. One thing that's important about knowing the details is because scripture is not this, this fictional account. Scripture is anchored in history, is anchored in truth. So it's important to understand that these are not just fictional characters. If, I saw an article the other day about, you know, 10 reasons why, you know, Jesus never existed. I'm like, really? I mean, we're still trying to prove that, that Christ did not even walk the earth, you know. So th there's always someone trying to discredit Scripture by saying, ah, did Paul really write that? Uh, you know, was this really happen? By doing that, they're trying to discredit the text as a whole because ultimately there's a historical underpinning there that is, is significant. So we want to, to acknowledge that and, and see that. So the... the the letter itself is probably um, a year after 1 Corinthians, but a year before Romans. And I want to just see that a little bit because I find it really interesting. It's going, to, it's going to piggyback a lot on Romans. And actually, 2 Corinthians gives us the perfect context for the book of Romans because he wrote Romans from Corinth that is in his time there. And so the study that we're covering now on Sunday morning, the, the context, the geopolitical context is the city of Corinth. So a few things in looking at, I'm not walking through all of Paul's journeys, but I want us to understand where 2 Corinthians fits in his, in his journeys and where it fits strategically in what he's, he's, his teachings. First missionary journey probably lasts about two years. Paul and Barnabas, he goes to Asia Minor, Turkey Peninsula, goes through Galatia now, See, here's a little tidbit of information that I, I love that no one else here is going to care about. So I'm telling you right now. But you know I'm, I'm kind of French. <laughs> that wasn't funny. I mean, I, but we know the first missionary journey went to where? It went to Galatia, part of Asia Minor. The Galatians were a Celtic group that immigrated from southern France in 279 B.C., Kevin, isn't that cool? So, so Paul's first, I don't think Paul ever made it to Ireland, but Paul's first journey is to the French. I thought that was just cool. So over 20,000 Gauls migrated in 279 B.C. to Galatia and founded the colonies there, so Paul was reaching to the French. Asia Minor, see? That was interesting, right? But no one cared. But that's okay. But it was interesting to me. Asia Minor, just to understand uh, the peninsula that where it's located for us to um, part of Galatia. I say this because his travel is going to take him from Ephesus in Asia Minor to Macedonia to Achaia, where Corinth is at, and around those around those areas. Second missionary journey uh, lasted about three years. Here he's going to spend, on his second missionary journey, he's going to spend uh, around 18 months in Corinth. He's going to pen the book whenever uh, 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. So he goes from Corinth, spends a year and a half with him there. He spent between Ephesus and Corinth is where Paul spent most of his time in these journeys. Uh, then when he goes on to Ephesus, writes back to Corinth at, at that point in time before heading back to Caesarea. Judy. Right. Walking all of these 
They were, well, between donkeyback, camelback, but I don't really see tons of accounts beyond just historical context that tells exactly how he traveled, even though he traveled a lot by ship because we get the accounts there in, 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 the, in the book of Acts, right? That's obviously going to Rome afterwards. He's shipwrecks. Uh, but, yeah, these journeys were long. Were, if you go through the real history, they were dangerous. Uh, all the lawlessness, all the uh, so they were dangerous journeys. Of course, like they're over a period of uh, so this his uh, this missionary journey here, we're talking about over a period of three years. So they're long journeys, and uh, we're we're covering it in about ten seconds, but it took him obviously uh, quite some time. So quite quite significant journeys. I think the biggest part of these journeys probably is this the danger component of being robbed and uh, physical ailments from, from those travel. I'm just noting most of these places they were driven out of and they had an angry mob following them yeah. down to town. So, so that was quick to get you moving. <laughs> when the angry mob is after you, that camel's running. You know what you're, saying? Yeah. you're whipping that camel. That's right. <laughs> he returns, so on his third missionary journey, the third trip will last four years, and here he'll spend uh, three years in, in Ephesus. So what we see is that he uh, penned 1 Corinthians from Ephesus after spending 18 months in, in Corinth. He penned 2 Corinthians from Macedonia as he was coming uh, on his third trip. He was coming down from Macedonia down to Achaia. He sent the letter ahead and wrote from Macedonia on his way there. Uh, on his third journey, and then he pins Romans when he's in Corinth on this third missionary journey. So that kind of gives you. So what's again what what is interesting to me is the fact that the foundation that for for the book of Romans is the city of Corinth and that culture and the struggles that were there as well, which is where he lays, of course, his his theology. So just just as a side note, his fourth journey takes him to Rome. Some of his prison epistles will be from there. Uh, so that will be his, his, his final journey. So what's the geopolitical landscape? As you go through the, the city of Corinth and uh, understanding the, the context of this letter, why is he talking about these things? You know, we find interesting in most writings, uh, Paul is not going to say, here's a problem and here's a solution to the problem. He'll address directly the answers or direct He'll address directly solutions or answer questions without saying, well, you asked this question. So I say that because there is this give and take in the relationship, and a big part of this is rooted in where they're at and what kind of city Corinth is. So I'll try to, to skip over some of the minute details of this, and we'll, um, we'll get into some of the specifics of the text, of course, as well. But the, the church at Corinth is the canvas from which Paul writes the book of Romans. He'll spend a significant time here. He was there for a year and a half at a time, and then not count his constant returns. Again, it's important because Scripture is rooted in history. Scripture is rooted in truth, and it enriches our understanding of the writings and his intended purpose and what they're saying. It helps to understand what they're hearing when he's writing as well, right? So when he's writing something, saying these things, it helps to understand what their, under, their own understanding of the situation. So city of Corinth. Great significance, very important in the time, is a, is a Roman colony, uh, is a land bridge. Uh, as you can see, I think I, it's located 
Uh, Corinth is located is in that land bridge between uh, Greece and I think it pronounced it Peloponnese and mainland Greece and so it became the important seaport. Uh, it's Roman culture because it's a Roman colony because Julius Caesar founded it. It was Roman culture, Roman laws, Roman politics, Latin languages. When you go through scripture you, you discover the different names of people, even Gaius, Aquila, Priscilla, uh, Tertius, they're all Latin names because they're from Corinth and it was a Latin language city under Roman culture and under Roman influence. Also, I put down the Aqua Corinth overshadowed the city. So as you're there in a city, you're, you're overlooking this, this massive uh, fortress, this fortified built on top of rock, also where they had the Temple of Aphrodite on the top of this uh, Aqua Corinth as well. So the, the Romans were very religious. I find it interesting about the Romans, it could be a study about this because you see a lot of this, how it bleeds into Roman Catholicism. But the, the Romans did not try to destroy other religions. What did they do instead? Assimilate them. A lot more effective to try to assimilate another religion than it is to try to destroy the other religion. And the way you assimilate is by trying incorporating uh, the Virgin Mary. You know, a, 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 to, to compare it to their own gods and idols and idol worship. Uh, and by basically, I, I put down basically by, by diluting, you're diluting someone else's religion by, by mixing it with your own and making that blend of it. So we could probably add some, some thoughts to that, but in terms of what Christianity means in America, Christianity in America may not be destroyed, but it's certainly been, been uh, diluted, and society has, has done an effective job of, of not destroying Christianity, but kind of blending it as part of a Christianized society. And that's what the Romans did, in essence. We're out of time for, for this. Let me just go to the end and, and show you some of the verses that we'll come back to some of this next week and, and, and pick back up. I, I intentionally took, a, took away some of the references. But here as you walk through the letter, you'll see some of the, the words, the words of Paul. He says, We are so utterly burdened beyond our, our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We all, with unveiled force, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed to the same image from one degree of glory to another. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not in us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasted away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord and we walk by faith and not by sight. For the love of Christ controls us or constrains us. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. So many more verses that we'll find through Second Corinthians. Just 
powerful verses. And so we'll be, we'll be strengthened, we'll be encouraged, we'll walk away glorifying the Lord for his, his grace and his working. So many verses are just powerful verses packed in these few chapters. So looking forward to, to walking through these, these chapters and these verses with you. So I'm going to close our time this morning in prayer. Uh, good to see everyone this morning. Father, thank you for giving us scripture. As I, as I read over and over through Second Corinthians, I was moved so many times by the words of Paul, by, by the grace that's been poured upon us, though, by the transformation, by, by the this comfort we find, by the boldness we find in you and, and the work in, in, in our lives. Lord, what, a, what a beautiful letter. And though Paul struggled with the Corinthian church, we benefit from a letter that is his most passionate and his most personal letter written. So Lord, help us as we read through it and not be indifferent to what we read. Help us to see what we need to learn. Help us to see, Lord, how it changes our lives. And we commit this to you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.